Part two, chapter ten of the House of the Dead by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translator unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter ten. Freedom. This incident occurred during my last year of imprisonment. My recollection of what occurred this last year is as keen as of the events of the first years, but I have gone into detail enough. In spite of my impatience to be out, this year was the least trying of all the years I spent there. I had now many friends and acquaintances among the convicts, who had by this time made up their minds very much in my favour. Many of them, indeed, had come to feel a sincere and genuine affection for me. The soldier who was assigned to accompany my friend and myself, simultaneously discharged out of the prison, very nearly cried when the time for leaving came and when we were at last in full freedom, staying in the rooms of the government building placed at our disposal for the month we still spent in the town, this man came nearly every day to see us. But there were some men whom I could never soften or win any regard from, God knows why, and who showed just the same hard aversion for me at the last as at the first, something we could not get over stood between us. I had more indulgences during the last year, I found among the military functionaries of our town old acquaintances, and even some old schoolfellows, and the renewal of these relations helped me. Thanks to them I got permission to have some money, to write to my family, and even to have some books. For some years I had not had a single volume, and words would fail to tell the strange deep emotion and excitement which the first book I read at the jail caused me. I began to devour it at night when the doors were closed and read it till the break of day. It was a number of a review, and it seemed to me like a messenger from the other world. As I read, my life before the prison days seemed to rise up before me in sharp definition, as of some existence independent of my own, which another soul had had. Then I tried to get some clear idea of my relation to current events and things, whether my arrears of knowledge and experience were too great to make up, whether the men and women out of doors had lived and gone through many things and great during the time I was away from them, and great was my desire to thoroughly understand what was now going on, now that I could know something about it all at last. All the words I read were as palpable things, which I wanted rather to feel sensibly than get mere meaning out of. I tried to see more in the text than could be there. I imagined some mysterious meanings that must be in them, and tried at every page to see allusions to the past, with which my mind was familiar, whether they were there or not. At every turn of the leaf I sought for traces of what had deeply moved people before the days of my bondage, and deep was my dejection when it was forced on my mind that a new state of things had arisen, a new life among my kind, which was alien to my knowledge and my sentiments. I felt as if I was a straggler, left behind and lost in the onward march of mankind. Yes, there were indeed arrears, if the word is not too weak. For the truth is that another generation had come up, and I knew it not, and it knew not me. At the foot of one article I saw the name of one who had been dear to me. With what avidity I flung myself on that paper! but the other names were nearly all new to me. New workers had come upon the scene, and I was eager to know their doings and themselves. It made me feel nearly desperate to have so few books, and to know how hard it would be to get more. At an earlier date in the old major's time, 
it was a dangerous thing indeed to bring books into the jail if one was found when the whole place was searched as was regularly done great was the disturbance and no efforts were spared to find out how they got in and who had helped in the offence i did not want to be subjected to insulting scrutiny and if i had it would have been useless i had to live without books and did shut up in myself tormenting myself with many a question and problem on which i had no means of throwing any light but i can never tell it all it was in winter that i came in so in winter i was to leave on the anniversary day oh with what impatience did i look forward to the thrice blessed winter how gladly did i see the summer die out the leaves turn yellow on the trees the grass turn dry over the wide steppe summer is gone at last the winds of autumn howl and groan the first snow falls in whirling flakes the winter so long long prayed for is come come at last oh how the heart beats with the thought that freedom was really at last at last close at hand yet it was strange as the time of times the day of days grew nearer and nearer so did my soul grow quieter and quieter i was annoyed at myself reproached myself even with being cold indifferent many of the convicts as i met them in the courtyard when the day's work was done used to get out and talk with me to wish me joy ah little father alexander petrovitch you'll soon be out now and here you'll leave us poor devils behind well mertinoff have you long to wait still i asked the man who spoke i oh good lord i've seven years of it yet to weary through then the man sighed with a far-away wandering look as if he was gazing into those intolerable days to come yes many of my companions congratulated me in a way that showed they really felt what they said i saw too that there was more disposition to meet me as man to man they drew nearer to me as i was to leave them the halo of freedom began to surround me and caring for that they cared more for me it was in this spirit they bade me farewell k a young polish noble a sweet and amiable person was very fond about this time of walking in the courtyard with me the stifling nights in the barracks did him much harm so he tried his best to keep his health by getting all the exercise and fresh air he could i am looking forward impatiently to the day when you will be set free he said with a smile one day for when you go i shall realize that i have just one year more of it to undergo need i say what i can yet not help saying that freedom in idea always seemed to us who were there something more free than it ever can be in reality that was because our fancy was always dwelling upon it prisoners always exaggerate when they think of freedom and look on a free man we did certainly the poorest servant of one of the officers there seemed a sort of king to us everything we could imagine in a free man compared with ourselves at least he had no irons on his limbs his head was not shaven he could go where and when he liked with no soldiers to watch and escort him the day before i was set free as night fell i went for the last time all through and all round the prison how many a thousand times had i made the circuit of those palisades during those ten years there at the rear of the barracks had i gone to and fro during the whole of that first year a solitary despairing man i remember how i used to reckon up the days i had still to pass there thousands thousands god how long ago it seemed there's the corner where the poor prisoned eagle wasted away petrov used often to come to me at that place 
It seemed as if the man would never leave my side now. He would place himself by my side and walk along without ever saying a word, as though he knew all my thoughts as well as myself, and there was always a strange, inexplicable sort of wondering look on the man's face. How many a mental farewell did I take of the black squared beams in our barracks? Ah, me! How much joyless youth, how much strength for which use there was none, was buried, lost in those walls, youth and strength of which the world might surely have made some use. For I must speak my thoughts as to this. The hapless fellows there were perhaps the strongest, and in one way or another the most gifted of our people. There was all that strength of body and of mind lost, hopelessly lost whose fault is that yes whose fault is that the next day at an early hour before the men were mustered for work i went through all the barracks to bid the men a last farewell many a vigorous horny hand was held out to me with right good will some grasped and shook my hand as though all their hearts went with the act but these were the more generous souls most of the poor fellows seemed so much to feel that, for them, I was already a man changed by what was coming, that they could feel scarce anything else. They knew that I had friends in the town, that I was going away at once to gentlemen, that I should sit at their table as their equal. This the poor fellows felt, and although they did their best as they took my hand, that hand could not be the hand of an equal. No, I too was a gentleman now some turned their backs on me and made no reply to my parting words i think too that i saw looks of aversion on some faces the drum beat all the convicts went to their work and i was left to myself suchiloff had got up before everybody that morning and now set himself tremblingly to the task of getting ready for me a last cup of tea poor suchiloff how he cried when i gave him my clothes my shirts my trouser straps and some money taint that taint that he said and he bit his trembling lips it's that i'm going to lose you alexander petrovitch what shall i do without you there was akim akimitch too him also i bade farewell your turn to go will come soon i pray said i ah no i shall remain here long long very long yet he just managed to say as he pressed my hand i threw myself on his neck we kissed ten minutes after the convicts had gone out my companion and myself left the jail for ever. We went to the blacksmith's shop, where our irons were struck off. We had no armed escort. We were there attended by a single sub-officer. It was convicts who struck off our irons in the engineer's workshop. I let them do it for my friend first, then went to the anvil myself. The smiths made me turn round, seized my leg, and stretched it on the anvil. Then they went about the business methodically, as though they wanted to make a very neat job of it indeed. The rivet man, turn the rivet first, I heard the master smith say. There, so, so. Now a stroke of the hammer. The irons fell. I lifted them up. Some strange impulse made me long to have them in my hands for one last time. I couldn't realize that only a moment before they had been on my limbs. Goodbye, 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 said the convicts in their broken voices, but they seemed pleased as they said it yes farewell liberty new life resurrection from the dead unspeakable moment end of chapter ten recording by expatriate in bangor maine end of the house of the dead by fyodor dostoevsky translator unknown